I want to thank y'all for following along with me as I'm living and learning, but we're changing up the format just a little bit this season. And I want to thank my cohort in crime and friendship, Melissa Peterman, for everything she taught me in the first season. Melly Poo, if you're listening, I hope I'm going to make you proud on this go-round. Let me know if I'm doing okay, but <clears throat> remember, don't call, just text. Seriously, I love you with all my heart. I'm Reba McIntyre, and welcome to Living and Learning. I am tickled to pieces that here we are on our second season. I had such a great time last year. I learned a lot, and so we're going to continue those conversations this season with even more people that I know you're going to love hearing from, and I can't wait to share them with you. You know, since we were here last year, so much has happened for me and to me, and I'm sure for you too. I mean, we went through the pandemic. Everybody was quarantined, and so we're going to have a lot to talk about this season. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The first season of Reba McIntyre Living and Learning, we had that dating episode with Christian Chenoweth, and she was giving advice, and and Melissa Peterman and I were talking about uh, trying to find me a, a person. Well, I, I was kind of wanting to say, well, I've already got me this person, but you know, at that stage of the game, you don't know if it's going to be something that sticks or not. And uh, what's he going to think about me in another year? And should I say this openly? And so we we just evaded the subject. After a while, I said, guys, I don't feel good about this. And they said, why? I said, well, because I'm kind of smitten with this guy in California. And I said, so I think I need to publicly say that I am in love. Well, here we are on second season. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm still in love with this man from California, originated from Spearman, Texas, moved to Oklahoma City when he was in sixth grade, and then out to California, my boyfriend. The one I call Sugar Tot, Rex Lynn. Tater Tot McIntyre. We're the tots. Uh, I'm sure everybody's wondering why and where we got the name Sugar and Tater Tot. It was that first night we met in L.A., Steve and Melissa Peterman and Marnie and you and I were all out for dinner, and we went over to Steve's wine bar, and on the menu was tater tots, uh -huh. and I just went nuts because I love tater tots, and so Rex is famous for giving people nicknames, and he said, that's yours. My nicknames are legendary. 
I mean, they, they, they stick with people. Mm-hmm. But I never premeditate them, and they always have to present themselves, and that was the perfect moment. You ordered tater tots. You delved into them like a great white shark with ketchup, <laughs> and I just thought, that that's it. It's tater tot. And then later on, when I was there on the ranch with Susie and Mark, Susie said, what are you doing? I was out in the car, and I said, uh, I'm talking to Rex. She said, what's he call you? I said, tater tot. And she said, well, tell Sugar Tot hi for us. And I said, all right, that's his nickname. So Susie gave you your nickname. That's right. And we've used it ever since. Sugar and Tater, the Tots. We're the Tots, Sugar and Tater. I am so happy to be on your show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited I, I you're here. I listened to all your podcasts last season. Did you like it? I liked all of them, and I, I just was sad that I wasn't on one. Well, I thought it was fitting that you were the first since you were mentioned last season. I, I, I was really nervous about stating my love for you publicly. You know, that's a big deal. It is a big deal. As a matter of fact, when you did that, my phone just started blowing up. And I just thought, what is going on here? People were texting me going, I didn't know you were, are you are you dating Reba McIntyre? I mean, people from all over were, I was like, how did they know that? But now we know. Well, let's catch everybody up on it. I was in L.A. doing Young Sheldon, and you were on that show also. So when you found out, oh, this is a year ago, January, mm-hmm. you found out I was going to be on the show, so... We got to texting each other and say, well, let's go out to eat after you're through. Well, I was tired, couldn't do it. So the next week where I was back out in L.A., and so we went to dinner. It was just kind of magical. Tell everybody where we first met. We'll start at the beginning. Well, we first met in 1991. I had just moved from Oklahoma City in 1990 uh, to Los Angeles to study acting. Had no agent, uh, no representation at all. And my good friend Dick Lowry, who was a well-known director, who's also from Oklahoma City, called me and he said, hey, I got a, I got a role for you on Gambler 5. Kenny Rogers movie series. Kenny Rogers movie. And I said, oh, great. He said, Reba McIntyre is is uh, co-starring with him. And I said, oh, great. And I said, what's my role? <laughs> he goes, well, you're going to ride a horse into a saloon and go, <laughs> I was so excited about it. So I went to the set. Of course, Reba was number two on the call sheet. Kenny was number one, and and then I wasn't even on the call sheet. I mean, I was like, people were going, I think he's a friend of the directors. Uh, he's going to ride a horse in the saloon. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I met Reba the first time then. Uh, I met you the first time, and then we kept in touch over the years through a mutual friend, Ed Gaylord, my best friend, who uh, would have the Reba McIntyre, Ben Johnson Pro Celebrity uh, Rodeo event, which was uh, an event that raised money for children's medical research in Oklahoma City, or the state of Oklahoma, actually. And so we kept in touch over the years. Uh, and then we had that dinner yeah. last year. So many years later. Mm-hmm. It was later on that I was texting you, and I told you about Mama, uh, that we just found out that she had bladder cancer. And you said, hey, you just feel free to call me any time you need to talk. And I just quit texting, and then we've been talking ever since. Well, let me let me just add to that. Uh, in 1998, my mom passed away. And the day we buried her, uh, we went back to mom's house, and uh, there was a lot of people there. Mom was popular. 
love her. She's my best friend. Anyway, I, my sister walks up and says, uh, you got a phone call. And I, I said, now? Right now? And, he, and she said, yeah, I think you want to, probably going to want to take this. So I went back in my old bedroom that I grew up in, sat on the bed, and and uh, it was uh, it was Reba. And she uh, she said, hey, I understand what you're going through today. I wanted to talk to you. We talked for about 25 minutes, and I never forgot it. It was amazing, uh, and it was uplifting. It was really special. And and uh, little did I know, 20 years later, 21 years later, I'd be doing the same thing with her mm-hmm. on the phone. And, and uh, But I never forgot that. And, uh, and that's why I said to you, uh, if you ever want to talk, you know, just give me a call. And we did. And we have been. Yeah. But it was a very special relationship, uh, us getting to know each other without any physical aspect to it at all. We'd talk in the morning. We started coffee camp while I was staying in Oklahoma at Susie and Mark's house. And we've been, we haven't missed a coffee camp since March, gosh, 16, something like that. So our coffee camp, to clarify, we just had coffee every morning during the pandemic, during quarantine. And so I called it coffee camp. Let's have it. Let's get up for coffee camp. And when she says that we've never missed a coffee camp, we have never missed a coffee camp since we started. And that includes the mornings where she would get on Good Morning America to promote the CMAs or whatever. So I was in California. She was in Tennessee. So sometimes my coffee camp started at 3 a.m. But, man. I have I have never missed one. I don't want to ever miss one. Mm-mm. They've all been great. Usually it's two cups, but sometimes when we're just a little push for time, it's a one cup, but we haven't missed one time. Susie and Mark got the biggest kick out of us doing that. Uh, they would laugh, and they'd say, we're going to walk up the hill. You want to go? I said, oh, no, I've got coffee camp. They'd just giggle and walk on out. Coffee camp has turned into a great institution. Yeah, more people I, ought to do it. I, I was getting ready to say I highly recommend it to I do too. Start a, a coffee camp. We say good morning. We kiss and say I love you. Great way to start the morning. It really is. Speaking of quarantine, I sent you food during quarantine <laughs> a lot of times. I, I I was trying to figure out a way to connect with you other than us three hours a day uh, talking with one another, uh-huh. which was great. And it allowed us to develop a, an emotional intimacy through through those months and weeks and. Uh, but I would send you food from all over the country, mm-hmm. and because uh, yeah. I'm a foodie and you're a foodie. Yeah. And I was thinking last night, what was your favorite food that I sent you? Well, the first one you sent was the pecan pie. Mm-hmm. From Good Company Barbecue in Houston. We were flabbergasted because that was such a good pecan pie. And I kept the box that came in and everything and your note. And Susie and Mark were just thrilled to death. And uh, now, that's back when, when if Mark went to the grocery store, when he came back to the house, he wiped everything off outside. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And then brought it in the house, and Susie and I didn't leave the the ranch. We were on a 3,000-acre ran- uh, cattle ranch, and the only people we saw was us three and the cattle, and sometimes the kids would come up. 
So we were thrilled to death for the UPS or Federal Express or any kind of delivery person driving up the hill. And Mark would ask me that morning, is Rex sending anything? So it was pecan <laughs> pie. It was lobster rolls. Mm-hmm. It was McConnell's ice cream from California. Perini's in West Texas. Oh, Perini's. Beef tenderloin. Oh, my gosh. So good. Lobel's. And then, yeah, Lobel steaks, and then the Louisiana and Cajun food from from uh, Brooks, and and uh, also Snake River Farms, uh, uh-huh. and also uh, we're leaving. So, oh, oh, hello, Joe Stone Crab. Oh yeah, the Stone Crabs were great. I never fixed any of that kind of stuff, so it was an education for me. So, which was my favorite? Mm-hmm. They were all great, but what prolonged and we got more, we got to have it more often was the McConnell's ice cream. Yeah, baby. And Susie, she would give us a little bitty scoop each night while we were watching Ozark on Netflix. So mm-hmm. we were watching the, the the TV and she would just be real scrimpy with and and Rex finally talked to her and said, Susie, why are you not giving them more? She's we're gonna save it. Well, that's famous for Susie. When she was a little bitty girl, she would collect rocks and daddy said, Susie, what are you gonna do with that? Well, she had a lisp and she was a little bitty girl and she said, I'm gonna and then she also stuttered. She said, I'm gonna save them. So she was the cutest little rascal. So it it's typical for her to save something. And she was saving the ice cream and keeping it as long as possible. Yeah, because I said, I said, I've got two giant scoops here. Are you you got a big bowl? And she goes, uh, two spoonfuls. Uh-huh. That's all Susie's given us. But we we did eat on that McConnell's ice cream for a long time. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. So why did you move from Spearman to Oklahoma City and then on to LA? Well, uh, my father w- was an attorney, and he had a law firm in Spearman, Texas, which is north of Amarillo. And Dad decided that it was a, a great opportunity for him and our family to move out of the town of 2700, move to Oklahoma City, and start his own law firm. Uh-huh. So we left in August of, of uh, 1969, but I wanted to play football for the Spearman Lynx. I want to put that purple and white helmet on with the Lynx, and I was going to be the best running back in the history of the state of Texas for the fighting Spearman Lynx. But that didn't happen. But before you left, your dad owned a ranch out in Spearman. Mm-hmm. I grew up on a working cattle ranch. And your dad started uh, the feedlot out in West Texas. He co-founded uh, the Caprock Feedlots in, in the Panhandle of Texas. And daddy would get... Uh, cattle in the spring and uh, fatten them up, sell them in the fall. And a lot of times they went to the feedlots and could have gone out to one of your dad's feedlots. Probably did. Ranchers from the surrounding five states right there would, would go to the Caprock feedlots. They were huge. And dad had a big acreage out there. Again, he was an attorney and he, he wasn't a cowboy by any means. And I, nor was I, but we had a cowboy that ran the ranch out there named Dale Hawkins. He was a, a true influence and hero of mine. Uh, and so every summer I got to go out to the ranch and we got to work cattle and ride horses. And, you know, I got to be a cowboy. I always wanted to be a cowboy. Wasn't in my DNA, never good enough to be a cowboy. But I got to live it for a while. And it was great. Me too. I wanted to be a world champion barrel racer so bad I couldn't hardly stand it. Never was that good. I was a good donator. That's about it. Coming on too from ranching to rodeoing, you are a team roper. I'm a barrel racer. Mm-hmm. Here we are again, loving similar things. I guess that's why we get along so well now, because we were dreaming 
of being cowboys and cowgirls, but that other side just kind of took hold. That's why you moved from Oklahoma City to L.A. to become an actor. That's right. And, you know, when I was young, everybody always says, I bet John Wayne was a big influence. John Wayne was an influence later on, I guess, but Clayton Moore the Lone Ranger, man. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to be good enough to be to be a cowboy. I was so intimidated being around Dale Hawkins because I, I just knew that I didn't have it in me to be a cowboy, although I wanted to be one. And then I saw the Lone Ranger, an episode of the Lone Ranger. I saw Clayton Moore. I didn't know his name was Clayton Moore at the time. I just saw the Lone Ranger, and he was on a white horse, and he had a mask on, and, it, and I thought that's the coolest thing ever. Well, eventually— I started asking mom and dad, "What? What? Is, where is he? What ranch does, does he work on? She, <laughs> she said, well, he's in a movie studio. And I'm thinking, whoa, I want to be one of those. And then I saw the Wolfman. I saw Lon Chaney Jr. play the Wolfman. That scared me. And I said, where is the Wolfman? And they said, that's an actor, and he's putting on a Wolfman mask. And I thought, well, that's the, as much as you can think at five to seven years old. That's got to be the greatest job in all the world. So that's how I started. I didn't know that. And then in 1967, I saw Adam West and Batman, and I'm like, this is what I need to do. You and I have talked about Batman. That was the second TV show I saw in color. Uh, Bewitched and then Batman. They came on Thursday night. Mm -hmm. And you're a huge... I wanted to be Bewitched and you wanted to be Batman. I was in love with Elizabeth Montgomery, too. Oh, yeah. Everybody was. Can you squish your nose? No, I can't. My ears move. But, man, just the idea that there was a guy that put on a Batman outfit, he was getting paid for it. I just thought, man, if I can't be a cowboy, that's what I want to be. So you went to L.A. in what year? 1990, February. I left Oklahoma City February 5th. Uh, My goal was to get to Winslow, Arizona, because my favorite band is the Eagles. Mm -hmm. And standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, such a fine sight to see. So I wanted to to go to that corner. And so I got in my U-Haul in the morning. I was 34 years old when I moved from Oklahoma City. Everybody, of course, thought I was having a nervous breakdown, except for my family and my two best friends, but I'd been talking about acting since I was five years old. So, and mom was bawling. I mean, and I was in a, I was, I packed all my stuff in a U-Haul. Little did I know that U-Haul was only going to go 54 miles an hour. So I, I didn't get to Winslow until 1.30 a.m., but I got to Winslow. And uh, <laughs> so I made it to Winslow, had a good time there, this little pool hall and this little motel. And then February 7th at midnight, I pulled in Los Angeles. Uh, and that was my first night uh, at, at the home where, or the place that I would be spending now over 31 years. Wow. So two years later, I got my first break, you know, Cliffhanger. I'd never even been in a movie in Los Angeles it was since I moved to California, and I got the movie Cliffhanger. When Cliffhanger came out, it was the number one movie in America. And, I mean, I was with John Lithgow and, you know, Rocky. Here I was with Stallone. I mean, it was a big deal, and John and I played the two bad guys. But, yeah, it was uh, February of 1990 when I moved. So two years you were in L.A. and got a huge box office smash hit. Wow. That's incredible. Well, I was lucky. I, I mean, I read for, literally read for one line for Cliffhanger. I read uh-huh. for and I remember the line. They've ascended to 36,000 feet, and I'm looking at a radar. Well, I didn't get that role, and not only did I not get the role, but they postponed the movie. 
until uh-huh. it was completely uh, financed and they found the location. So the movie took place in Colorado, but we filmed it in Italy for six months in the, up in the Dolomites up there in northern Italy. So when, once they secured those locations and everything, that they started ca- recasting. And the casting director brought me in and said, hey, I want you to grab these pages and read for this role. And I read for it, and she was nonplussed. She wasn't really uh, enthused at all. But I got a call later. Hey, come back in and read for it. So I read for it. And then I was at Warner Brothers Studios auditioning for a sitcom. I had overalls on. I had two lines, like, hey, hey, Lisa, could you pass the chicken fried please and the gravy? Well, there were a bunch of other ball guys with overalls in there, okay? There's like 20 of us. It's raining. It's on a Friday. And my manager called. At the time, my mother wasn't doing well health-wise. And we get this call. I hear this girl say, is Rex Lynn here? So I immediately thought something terrible. And it was my manager. And he said, what are you doing? I said, what do you think I'm doing? You sent me on this audition. I'm wearing overalls in this lobby with a bunch of bald guys that have overalls on, getting ready to ask for the gravy. He said, you got to go over to, you got to get over to La Cienega right now. They want to do a screen test with you with Sylvester Stallone this afternoon. So get in your car and drive over to this address. I said, I've got overalls on. So anyway, I drive over there and uh, Mindy Marin was the casting director. Anyway, I did a, I did a screen test with, with, uh, was sly, and uh, at the end of it, he he almost seemed nonplus. He just said, "Have you ever been to Italy?" And I said, "No." He said, "It's it's a cool place," and he left. And two weeks later, I got a call and said, "Pack your bag. You're going to Italy for five and a half months." And wow! That's how that started. Okay, I've seen the movies lots of times, and. What was the hardest part for you? I know there's it's an action-packed thriller. You're in Italy. What was the hardest part about being in that movie? So here's the thing, man. I, I'm claustrophobic. And so we had a fight scene underwater that didn't make the movie. They had a fight scene set up under ice. Okay, so by the time Stallone and I get in this fight, he's about half naked. He's got a torn shirt, torn uh, spandex leotards on. I've got 80 pounds of down jacket on. As you remember, we're in the mountains in the snow, yeah. mm-hmm. and I get thrown in the water. So oh, what, you had your boots on, too. Uh, boots, everything. So then I had a metal brace around my chest so the underwater divers could pull us. And so we were fighting underwater. And we'd go to an oxygen station, a regulator, and take a big deep breath of oxygen and then start fighting, and they'd pull us to the next one. And and so we had this system, and we had a little emergency oxygen tank, a little baby one wrapped around our wrist. And so one of the Navy SEALs, they had Navy SEALs there for us, and one of the Navy SEALs uh, said, look, if you get panic, we had the signal, you know, hand across your throat, like, I can't mm-hmm. do this now. Get yeah. me out of here. And so it was a whole sheet of ice, and it was about 50 feet long, and it was probably 20 feet deep. And he said, if you got a problem now, when we get in here, just give me the signal, and we'll get you out. Well, I didn't want to do that. you know. And he goes, and also, when you get deeper, as we get deeper and deeper, those clothes that you're wearing are just going to close up on you pretty tight. So just remember that, but it'll be all right. Everything's good. And when you get to the regulator, 
you know, just breathe like you're going to sleep. Well, you can't breathe like you're going to sleep when you're <laughs> fighting Rocky under ice. Plus, I was, plus, my heart rate was way up thinking, I'm going to get deeper and deeper under that ice. And there's only one way out. It's just back yeah. here. Ooh. So the first time we rehearsed, we went down there. I got about halfway under that ice. And I tell you what, Reba, it was every I was I was trying to pull all the macho, all the you're a stud, man. You can do this. And it, and it just didn't work. I just looked at Kevin, the Navy SEAL, and I just gave him the sign, like, get me out. Get me out yeah. of here. So he pulls me out. And by that time in the movie, all the other actors had gone home to to their respective countries. Uh, and it was just Sly and me. And the the crew was exhausted. The I the bet. huge the heroes of Cliffhanger were the four hundred crew members who had to go thirteen thousand, nine thousand, eight thousand, five thousand feet up in the mountains and then work hard. They were ready to go home. They didn't want any more delays. So I come back and here they are. They popped me out of the water. And Rennie Harlan, that directed it, comes running over and he's, what's going on? Why are you doing? What's going on? And and Kevin was really cool, man. He said, there's a problem with Rex's emergency tank on his arm. I saw a cord hanging out of it. We got to fix it. Well, how long is that going to take? It's going to take 15 or 20 minutes. Bless his heart. And he just looked at me and winked. He said, it's all right, dude. After that, I was rock solid. It was fun after that. That's great. Well, that was a great movie. Absolutely loved it. Who's your heroes of your fellow actors? You know, you already talked about Adam West, but who's your A number one? Well, I'll tell you, instead of favorite ones, who do you like to work with? You've worked with so many people. You and I can't watch a TV show or a movie without you saying, oh, he's the nicest guy. I worked with him on so-and-so. Well, you know, going back to Cliffhanger, I have to say John Lithgow uh, is amazing. And he and I are really, really close. And I, I, I couldn't have gotten through that movie without him. I mean, he was a, what a mentor. He's been, he's been uh, my go-to uh, advice man since 1992. Loved working with him. So many people. David Crusoe for 10 years, one of the most generous people I've ever worked with on CSI Miami. Uh, Ed Harris. I mean, I've I've just been fortunate, Reba. Yeah, you sure have. To work with a lot, a lot of people. And my favorite actor, I would have to say, going back, way back, you know, I had influences, like I told you, Lon Chaney playing the Wolfman, Boris Karloff, Frankenstein, Clayton Moore, Lone Ranger, Adam West, Batman. But in November of 1975, I was a senior in high school, walked in the Continental Movie Theater, which was arguably the best movie theater in the state of Oklahoma. And I saw on a Friday afternoon opening day, I saw what is still to this day my favorite movie of all time, which is One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. And that movie's hard to watch one time. You know, it's almost three hours, mm-hmm. and it's exhausting. And I walked out of the movie theater, got on the payphone, called my mom. I said, I'm not coming home for supper. I'm going to go back and watch this movie again. I watched it back to back. And when I got home, I told mom and dad, this is it. I know Jack Nicholson's performance as Randall Patrick McMurphy has confirmed that this is what I want to do in my life. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, it really it really was. And so he's always been really my favorite actor. That's always been my favorite movie. And, and uh, so, yeah. 
Okay, so I'm in the music business, both actor and a music person. You're an actor. You love music. I know few people that love music more than you do. When I get ready for a concert, I have a ritual I go through. First of all, while I'm getting ready, I'm warming up, doing my vocal exercises, nothing that I have to do to psych myself up, that kind of a routine. But before I hit the stage, I say a prayer. And I ask the Holy Spirit to walk for me, talk for me, think for me, sing for me. And hopefully that somebody in the audience will take home something that they've needed out of those songs or my performance. Do you have a ritual that you do before acting? I do. I'm a prayer warrior, as you know. Mm-hmm. I always say my two-minute prayer. And so from the time I started, when I was nervous and uh, staying in a little bitty honey wagon cubbyhole, you know, and I maybe I had one line in something or two lines in something. didn't matter what size of role. I always started off with uh, my two-minute prayer. So they'd knock on the door and say, they're ready for you. I would always say, I got to say my two-minute prayer. Now, when I started to say that early on, when I was really green and really a rookie, you'd get one of the assistant directors or, or base camp people looking at me like, dude, they're ready for you. Whether you want to say a prayer or not, I don't understand why you're telling me uh, two minutes, you know, but I always did it. So I always... Um, I always say a two-minute prayer before I go to the set. I always listen to my music. I have a playlist for all of the characters that I play. So I, I put together a music playlist, put the name of the character on it, and I have it on my phone so I can listen to it uh, when I get there. So basically, music is a huge part of my acting. It's a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, so I always have my playlist I listen to while I'm getting ready study the dialogue, and then say my two-minute prayer, and then and then I'm off to work. I've never seen anybody rehearse more than you do practice. You're so prepared. When you were helping me with the lines for the Christmas movie coming out this year, we started on the day one, and we rehearsed, and then we'd go to day two, and we'd I'd learn all of that, and you'd read the other parts. Day three, and then we'd stop for the day. And then the next day, we'd start at one, two, three, and then go to four. And by the time we were filming the movie, I knew my lines. I knew I felt like Dolly Parton. I knew everybody's line in the whole movie. So thank you for that. You're a you're a taskmaster. You'd make me rehearse when I didn't want to rehearse. Oh my God, you got mad sometimes. I, did. I was like, let's go back over the scene of the No, I'm done. I know it. I got no, we're going back over. But here's the thing. <laughs> that comes from me, survival for me. If I could do what you do. I would be, I mean, I'd probably be making what Tom Cruise makes. I mean, you can look at a page of dialogue and you got it down. Oh, I wish. Five minutes. I have to do with that repetition, 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 repetition. That's out of survival. I have to survive, especially on, you get on a show like, uh, and I'm so proud to be on it, Better Call Saul, one of the best shows on the planet. But I tell you what, in all of my scenes, have been with uh, Ray Seahorn, except for the last two, with Bob Odenkirk. The first time I had a scene with Ray Seahorn, she was talking like a cheetah on speed. I mean, she was like, she went in and, 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 and Kevin said, so what are you doing? And by the time she was done, I didn't even know it was my turn to speak. I was looking at her like, oh my God, is it my turn? <laughs> so, but she reminded me the first time she goes, it's your turn. Uh-huh. 
we were rehearsing, and I was like, oh, my God, I got to, I have to. So the point of that is I have to go over that dialogue hours every day. But what advice did you get from John about that? John said, one of the greatest things uh, John Lithgow said to me was, John's an avid, he's a huge fan of Better Call Saul. So I call him and I said, man, I'm a little bit worried because I was getting ready to travel to Albuquerque where Better Call Saul's filmed. And I had a ton of dialogue with Ray. And and I said, I'm kind of a little bit, you know, nervous about it. He goes, what are you nervous about? I said, well... She talks so fast and she's so good. And 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 I got all this dialogue and I just feel like I have to keep up with her. And he he said these words and it's helped me ever since in, in every job that I've done. He said, Well, first of all, I've seen your character in the show and you you don't talk fast. You don't you're a businessman, you own a, a lot of banks, you're from New Mexico, you're solid. You know, I got a little advice for you, Rex. And I said, what is it? He said, you just let her come to you. Hmm. Let her come to you. You don't have to come to go to her. You're, yeah. Plus, you, you've hired her. You're her boss. You don't, you don't have to. You just let all of them. Let everybody come to you. You take your time. And man, oh, man, it, it worked out. It was great advice. Great advice. Speaking of which, uh, we we were talking about my favorite movie in in, uh, in high school, me getting to see movies. I, I haven't even asked you, even in our alone time. What did you get an opportunity in all the things that you were doing constantly in high school and college? Did you get, ever get an opportunity to go see movies? Oh, absolutely! I remember in the fifth grade, sixth grade, I went with Marilyn McClendon, my good friend, and her family to the Oakla Theater in McAllister, Oklahoma, we got dressed up. I borrowed a dress to go see The Sound of Music. Oh, man. One of the greatest oh, movies of all time. I've, I, there's no telling how many times I've seen it. I remember in the seventh grade, no, in the second grade, we were in Mile City, Montana, and uh, Daddy was up there rodeoing, and we went to see How the West Was Won. Oh, yeah, baby. It had an intermission. Just like Sound of Music. So, and then even in high school, after the Friday night basketball game, a bunch of us girls would get in the car and we'd go up to McAllister and watch the second showing of whatever's showing up at the Oakland Theater. So, yeah, we watch movies. I'm a movie buff. I love movies. I like everything from Nacho Libre to uh, Schindler's List. If you had to pick oh, man. one of three, it's hard to pick. Okay. The, your favorite movie. I know that's a tough uh, for anybody to answer, but if you had to pick one of your top three, what would it be? Well, it'd be something from Christmas Vacation to Sound of Music. That's one of my favorites. I, I don't I don't know how many times I've seen that one. But when you will sit through and watch a movie over and over, and then you go see a movie like Coda or Palmer, uh, the Justin Timberlake and Marley Matlin movie where it's so... Uh, real and everyday life, and it, you cry, you laugh, you're pulling for the underdogs. That's that's the kind of movies I like. You know what? I've always wanted to ask you this too. What what music were you listening to in the seventies when you were well, when when you were my age and you're in high school and college? I have to ask you that. Everybody wants to know that. Well, because we were the singing McIntyres, Paik, myself, and Susie, Alice didn't sing with us that much. 
but we were the singing McIntyre, so Paik all the time was the lead singer. Once in a while, Susie and I would get to sing a song, and then the other two would sing harmony to us. So we were singing a lot of Merle Haggard, Glenn Campbell, Ronnie Millsap songs. And when I did get to sing a solo, it was either uh, Dolly Loretta, Tammy Ann Murray, or Barbara Mandrell. Lynn Anderson. Oh, wow. Um, but then I was dating in the 10th grade a rock and roller who was the drummer of the band. So I got into Three Dog Night in Chicago. Yeah, baby. The harmonies of Three Dog Night. That's why I love them in Chicago so much. I don't know if I told you this. In August, we moved uh, from Spearman to Oklahoma City. Uh-huh. We stayed at the Holiday Inn the first night because our house wasn't ready. It was a Saturday night. There was people up all night at the swimming pool. I mean, all night long. And mom got mad, called down to the front desk and everything. The next morning, we go have breakfast and we're sitting in a booth. And I kept looking at these guys because they didn't look like they really, you know, they certainly weren't from Spearman, Texas. And Uh they were in the booth right next to us, Reba. And Rhonda goes, my sister, she goes, oh my God, it's three dog night. No. Three Dog Night had a concert at the state fairgrounds, and they stayed at the Holiday Inn. They partied all night, and that's what Mom was complaining about was a Three Dog Night. It was an ongoing joke. And I will never forget looking at their drummer, Corey, and all those guys. And they were literally in the booth right next to us, and they looked like they had had some fun, man. Uh Uh-huh. It's great. cool. So you listen to Three Dog Night. Oh, I love Three Dog Night. Absolutely. Love the stories of, of how they found their songs. The Hoyt Axton story that they had gone to listen to some of Hoyt Axton's songs, and he played what he thought they would want. And they said, now, nah. he said, well, let's play some pool. Let's drink a beer or whatever. And so he was just letting the real run of all the songs he had written. And then the Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog song came up, Joy of the World, and one of the guys from Three Dog Night said, oh my gosh, that's the one we want. Now, if that's not the true story, I'm sorry, but that's what Pake told me. So I'm going to blame that on Pake. It sounds good. Let's go with it. Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. After the break, we'll be right back with more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. He even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. All right, Rex, it's time to play a game. Okay. We both love games. This will be fun. It's a game called Three, Two, One, Go. I'm going to read off these prompts that end in a blank, and we're going to fill in the blank. At the same time, right after I say three, two, one. All right, this is to see how well you really know me. Wow. Don't be nervous, but it, this is a test. Okay. Ooh. You ready? Okay. We're having a date night at home. 
My favorite takeout meal is three, two, one, go. Sonic. Sonic. Oh, perfect. Okay. Number two, we're listening to music and my favorite song to dance to comes on. The song that gets me up on my feet is three, two, one, go. Fancy. Fancy. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, number gonna, three. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, number three. You know to leave me alone when three, two, one, go. You I'm growl asleep. at me. Oh. <laughs> what did you say? When I'm asleep. Oh, that was cute. Yeah. Oh. Okay, number four. I love surprises. True or false? Three, two, one, go. True. True. Yep. Number five. It's Sunday morning and you know you can find me. Three, two, one, go. Church. At the coffee camp. Oh. <laughs> At, right after church. <laughs> Number six. We're browsing Netflix on a weekend at home. The show I'm most likely to binge watch is. Three, two, one, Ozark. Virgin River. Ozark, yeah, I would be. Well, Virgin yeah. River, I would be doing that by myself. Or Better Call Saul or uh, Young Sheldon. True. Yeah. Very true. Well, I'd okay. binge on all those. All right. Number seven. On a night out, you order me a drink. The drink is three, two, one, go. Blanton Whiskey and, and seven. seven. Perfect. We ought to date longer because we're on the same page, babe. I know. I Number eight, my dream vacation with you is three, two, one, go. Africa. Africa. Perfect. I'll ask you one question real quick. Okay. Do you or don't you put beans in your chili? Three, two, one, go. No. Do. Well, then you're not a Texan. We never I put know. beans in our chili. I know. I'm an oaky, and we do. <gasps> My podcast, I say you're wrong. Well, let me tell you this. What if I just walk out of here? Where would you go? Your house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, things went so well that you asking me, I'm going to ask you. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. We're having a date night at home. My favorite takeout meal is three, two, one, go. Sushi. Sushi. Okay. Okay. Perfect. We're listening to music, and my favorite song to dance to comes on. That song that gets me up and on my feet is three, two, one, go. One of these nights. Jackson Brown. Oh, one of these nights. Yeah. Uh Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Number three. You know to leave me alone when three, two, one, go. The Longhorns are playing on television. Texas football. Yes, Texas football. Okay, we got it. Mm, We got Mm -hmm. that one. Mm. Perfect. Number four. I love surprises. True or false? Three, two, one, go. True. True. Number five. It's Sunday morning, and you know you can find me. Three, two, one, go. In bed bed with coffee. coffee camp. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Number six. We're browsing Netflix on a weekend at home. The show I'm most likely to binge watch is three, two, one, go. Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. Yep. 
There we okay. go. There we go. Uh-huh. Number seven, on a night out, you order me a drink. Oh, this will be good. <laughs> <laughs> the drink is three, two, one, go. Fake beer. What was you going to say? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say fake beer. Okay, good. And eight, last but not least. Uh-huh. My dream vacation with you is two, three, two, one, go. Africa. Africa. We are a couple on fire. We know each other really well. You passed the test, did I? Yes, you passed 110%. Fun. I loved it. Me too. Okay, wait a minute. I got one other one. What is your favorite breed of dog? Three, two, one, go. French French Bulldog. Well, Rex, that went very well. I know you. You know me. We're as happy as we can be. This podcast confirms it, and this questionnaire confirms it. We are a couple, and we are moving forward. So, y'all, thanks so much for hanging out with Rex Lynn and myself for the first episode on the second season of Reba McIntyre Living and Learning. I learned some more about you, Rex. That's a lot of fun. I love that. You know, it's always fun to go to dinner with friends and stuff, because you'll tell stories that I hadn't heard before. But I do know something that's very important about a relationship. Whenever you tell a story, no matter how many times I've heard it, it means so much to you if I stay engaged and listen. I can see you looking around at everybody and you come back to me. And if I'm listening and watching, hanging on your every word, your eyes sparkle. So that's what I've learned. Maybe I haven't done that enough in the past, but I'm learning by my past mistakes what I need to do to the special man in my life, and that's you. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for being a part of our show today. I hope you had a good time because I sure did. Can I just say that it's been one of the highlights of my career? Oh, thank you. Love you dearly, and thank you for having me on the show, and, and I look forward to moving forward in this life with you. Thanks for having me on. Hope I didn't bore too many people. Well, you certainly didn't bore me. Thank you, Rex. Love you with all my heart. And we'll see y'all next time on Reba McIntyre's Living and Learning. Well, thanks for listening to Living and Learning with Reba McIntyre, a Spotify original production. Our lead producer is Dylan Rupert with producer Baron Farmer. Our executive producers are Gina Delvac, Yossi Solik, Danny Trebatch, and Justin McIntosh. Editing by Cheryl Crosby. Original music by Doug Sizemore. Special thanks to Leah Edwards, Robert Adler, Casey Simonson, and Kyla Canero. I'm your host, Reba McIntyre. Follow us only on Spotify.